the football neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports but little about soccer journeys through the 2018-19 Premier League season to discover a team to root for. Welcome uh, to this week's episode of the Football Neophytes podcast. Nate Hughes here with Chris. Hello. And we are joined by John Mooney. He is one of the hosts of From the Rookery End podcast. Uh, that's at Wadford Podcast on, on Twitter. John, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, boys. But let, let's, let's get started. What team do I support? What team do you support? Watford. Yeah, you tell me. Watford. Say again. Watford. Watford. You've got to say it much quicker than that. I say it in such an American way. You're saying Watford like it's two bits. It's one thing. Watford. It's Watford. Watford. Say it really quickly. Watford. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. So good. I hope all the 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 three or four British people who listen to this podcast will get a chuckle out of that. Um, (laughs) But before we even touch football or Watford, let's talk about beer because I saw on your Twitter uh, that you are a huge craft beer fan and I'm curious if you have an, a favorite American craft beer you, you guys don't do beer oh wow how <laughs> <laughs> dare de- you this is going <laughs> to derail the whole podcast uh no i don't uh is the uh is the the answer there was times when i would have drunk a budweiser i suppose in my time i can't think of any other american brands that i've that i've uh yeah had a had a drink of well to be fair we don't drink well i don't drink budweiser chris please don't Mm. tell me you drink budweiser we don't drink american like the main brand beers no i actually just installed a kegerator in my garage and i have Mm. a local craft beer cool so yeah, no, the, yeah. There's a there's a lot of uh, craft cool hipster beers. We call them hipsters. So if you've got a um, a nice long beard and uh, you wear cool clothes, that you're a hipster. And um, you know, a lot of small uh, breweries sort of setting up and and putting stuff out. And some of them are growing quite large uh, and larger and larger. But there's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of beers around in England at the moment where you can sort of go to shops and and pick them up. Uh, and they're just a bit more fun than just I don't you know not that I'm a I'm a snob or anything. I you know, I drink any any decent beer, uh, but uh, they're just nice to sort of have a different, different flavor um, to, to the norm. Yep. Same thing here. A lot of, lot of small independently owned companies coming up. So what, if we, if we get to, to the UK anytime soon, or we get to Britain, what, uh, what beer should we try? What, what's one of these like smaller craft, craft beers that we should test out? Cool. Am I putting depends you where you go. You literally depends where you go. Depends where you go. There's plenty of them, um, and there's, I wouldn't say they have to be small craft beers. There's, there's just the the even the the older uh, breweries. The, the first one that comes to mind uh, in terms of all these these craft beers is uh, one called Beaver Town, um, and they are they've just been bought and uh, they're, they're, well they've been invested in, so they should be getting out a bit a bit wider, and they might even make their way over to uh, to America um, in bigger cities, but. Um, then there's lots of beers like we've got in Watford itself we've got one that's tiny but growing um whose name's completely gone out of my head but then we've also got uh, mad squirrel which is not far from Watford uh, out of Hemel Hempstead uh, and then the Tring brewery which funny enough is in Tring huh. simple enough all heart of your base beers beers yeah so 
that you already started to allude to one of our really important questions that we've pretty much had to ask every guest is, is Watford a town, a city, a district? What is it? It sounds like it's a town or a city. Yeah, I heard, uh, heard Natalie talking about this on the, on the Burnley uh, chat yeah. you had. Yeah. Uh, Watford is, uh, is situated in the county of Hertfordshire, uh, and we are a town, very much a commuter town. Uh, my mum and dad uh, moved here because they both worked in London, uh, and it's a just outside of London. Uh, the M25 is a motorway that goes all the way around London and Watford is just inside that. So you could sort of say that's often seen as the, the outer bit of uh, what is uh, London, the M25. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just outside there. So not far from the wonderful hills uh, of, uh, of Hertfordshire, Buckinghamshire uh, as well. So the shires. Okay. All right. So not so far from, from the city or basically. Uh, 20, minute, 20 minutes on the train to get to London. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Um, and it sounds like you grew up there. Is that, is that basically how you became a fan or tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose in this in the next little bit, uh, we, we'll see why this is going to be the final episode of your podcast because you would pick Watford as your, as your team. But in, in 1986, uh, when I first started to go, a uh, seven-year-old boy, my dad um, was born in Wick which is basically the top of Scotland. You can't get any higher than Wick. Okay. Um, and he lived in London most of his life, though, in, in, the, in the south of uh, London and didn't have a team himself, like a really, you know, a team he definitely supported. Um, and he just wanted to take his lad to watch football. And, and football in the 1980s wasn't the greatest of places to go, uh, and especially take uh, a boy. Um, this is, you know, the Premier League uh, started in 1992. Uh, and just so all your American listeners are aware, Football didn't start in 1992, just the Premier League. Um, and th at that point, you know, th there were, it wasn't like it was, you know, you went to every game and there were fights, but there were hooliganism yeah. um, and, and a lot of uh, fighting in and around games by small groups of fans. So it isn't necessarily the place you want to take uh, a six, seven-year-old. But Graham Taylor, who is Watford's, uh, was Watford's manager from 1977 to 1987 and then 1997 to about 2001, 2000. Um, I'm not very good with dates, by the way, boys, just so, just, just so we're clear going ahead. Um, and he, uh, he set up Watford as uh, almost reinvented Watford. Um, he was a young manager who came from uh, Lincoln City up in the north and he took Watford from the bottom of in old money, the fourth division, now League Two, uh, to finishing second in the Division One, what is now the Premier League, uh, and did that with not how you do it these days. If you do that, as all the clubs you might have heard about who have gone from, you know, Bournemouth, for example, went from, from there to there, and Brighton as well, they've all done it with heavy investment. And, and, and Watford, to, to be back in the Premier League, we've done it with clever investment um, by our owners. And he, he did it. Uh, and he completely you know, changed the football club from what it would have been, which was a club that, by the size of our town and our history and all the rest of it, and our, uh, you know, the, the gates and the attendance that we get, rightly should have only been, at best, a championship side uh, in the second tier. But he didn't just create a better footballing side, he created uh, a family club. And I know, you know, 
clubs now talk, you know, talk about, and I don't remember Nasty saying it, so, you know, Burnley do a lot in the community. Well, we did it first. And I'm not saying that to be, we're better than you and we did it first. Graham really did do it first. And at Watford, he created a thing called the family enclosure. And the family enclosure was uh, part seating and part terrace. You know, when I first started going to football, there were still terraces. And at that point, the, what he created in this family enclosure run by a woman, a wonderful woman called Anne Swanson, um, was this place where you could bring the whole family. Um, and the atmosphere at Watford was fantastic. It was a bit Mickey taking because the crowd at Watford would go, Watford, rather than Watford, uh, because of that, that family uh, area. Uh, and the values that Graham, not only did he do on the pitch, but the whole ethos of the club, you know, again, Natty last week said, oh, the players go and visit the, the, the sick kids in, in the hospital. Well, Watford had been doing that since, you know, the early 1980s. That was what he made them do. He really made that part of it. And what is really unique and will never happen again with Graham is the fact that he ran that football club. Uh-huh. He wasn't just a manager. He ran the football club. They're too big now for you to be able to do that. There's too much going on. Yeah. But he set the tone. He set everything. He was the club. It was at that point owned by uh, Elton John. Yes, the Elton John who sings songs on the piano. Um, and Elton was uh, born in Pinner, which is just you know, not far from Watford. And, and he was a lifelong Watford fan. And when you get millions and millions of pounds for singing songs, some people do some investment. And Elton put it into his his childhood football club. Uh, and that was in the mid-1970s. And then Graham turned up in 1977. So by 1982, we were in the top division. And that following year, we then played in Europe. So at that point, there were only two places that went into Europe. You went, uh, the three, should I say. One was for winning the, being the winners. And you went into the U- European Cup, um, which is now the, the Champions League. Uh, the second place went into the UEFA Cup which is now the uh, Europa League. And then there was another, another cup that's that not round anymore, which is the uh, Cup Winners' Cup. So if you won the domestic F for England, which is the FA Cup, uh-huh. the, uh, the trophy then went into uh, a cup for that as well. So there were three cups back then, but nowhere near as many games. We achieved that. And the following season, we went to the FA Cup final, which unfortunately we lost. And, and for Watford to do that in that, literally from, from, from 77 to 84, in all those very few years, from the bottom of the fourth to achieving what we achieved, um, and what Graham achieved, was just phenomenal. So when I turned up in 1986, my dad had a place where he was more than happy to bring his son, and a place that was very welcoming, uh, and you know, we, we, we both you know, fell in love with the club. Which is great, because it sounds like in the, that, I think, and that's what I think you're alluding to here, right, is that that seems to be rare in the 80s and 90s that there were clubs that that had a, a family friendly atmosphere seems absolutely yeah more common now but but back then mostly what you hear from that that era is the hooliganism and the unsafety of the of the stands and the grounds and what a horrible time it was for for english football for the fan experience at least yeah, and, and, that, and that's sort of the only great thing that the Premier League sorted out. Are you aware of the Hillsborough disaster, by any chance? Is that the, is that the Liverpool one? Yeah, so that yeah. was in 1989. And, and because of the Hillsborough disaster and the 92 Liverpool fans who just went to watch a game of football um, at Hillsborough in, in Sheffield for the FA Cup semi-final, um, they, 
they lost their lives uh, and a lot was done in football. So the terraces that were had been going on for gosh, how many hundreds of hundred years, let's say, not maybe not that many. They were slowly um, from 1991, I suppose, onwards uh, were, were were removed and replaced um, to make the what is now a modern uh, football ground, uh, and then since then, you know, bigger and more massive and stadiums have, have been built such as the, uh, the Etihad and Old Trafford has been transformed um, and places like Watford have just slowly over many years sort of had to, to get rid of their terraces and, and put seating in. Yeah, so with Vic, Vicarage Road, is, am I pronouncing that right or are there too many? That is correct, yeah, Vicarage Road, yes. Should it be Vicarage? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's Vicarage, a bit posh when you say the Vicarage because oh, okay. yeah, there, is, there is a, a, a vicar involved with it. <laughs> So Vicarage Road, so that is an older stadium, um, just having been like still in the same place, having been like slowly renovated over the years. Yeah. So it's a, uh, until five years ago, four or five years ago, we only had three sides. One side was condemned. Um, it was the old, what was the old main stand? Um, and it was just, it wasn't able to, to hold a, <laughs> a crowd yeah. uh, and then when the Pozzo family took over um, in 2012 uh, about two years after that when the demand was high enough they, they built what is now the Sir Elton John stand uh, but our first our main our biggest stand the, the Rouse stand uh, sorry the, was, was the Rouse stand um, is now called the Graham Taylor stand uh, that was built in 1986 so it, things were starting uh, early before that um, but then throughout the 1990s the the two ends, the uh, the Rookery end, which our podcast is named after, and the Vicarage Road end uh, were were developed in the mid to late nineties. Okay, now, you've touched on it a couple of times with Elton John being involved with the club. Um, is he still involved, or is he kind of moved on now? No, he sold the club uh, again in the late eighties. Did come back with Graham uh, when uh, in the late nineties. Uh, but not not as a not necessarily as, as an owner and, and anything like that. More as a life president and a, a figurehead. Um, so he's, he's involved. He just comes games every so often when he's not touring the world. And yeah, he's bring his two sons with him. And uh, yeah, they they I think I, I'll probably say the last. He's probably come at least once a season, twice maybe a couple of times. Uh, but we're you know the, the stories of him uh, touring around the world in you know, in the eighties when you, you didn't have Twitter and you, you couldn't get signals, he would be phoning the, uh, the switchboard constantly to find out what the score was apparently. <laughs> um, so he's uh, yeah, he's a lifelong Watford fan. Um, and he, he still definitely has the ear and the, uh, the, the mobile phone numbers of the important people around the, uh, the club. Uh, yeah. And he will, he'll do it. Call I them. Saw, like sometime last year, didn't they sign his son? as well to yeah I'm not sure about that I don't know what that's about I, I, I don't know anything about that really um, I don't know right. again yeah. lots of lots of boys get signed and as they go through the system they will they'll drop out or they'll be yeah take a step back so I'm not aware of it no but I'm sure if he wants to have a kick around the training ground with Troy Deeney he'll be allowed to <laughs> and actually, so, so that brings up another question I had as a ignorant fan who doesn't know that much. But like in the American system, we have drafts for everything for as far mm. as players coming up into the system. Um, 
is there like a draft system at all in England or do you just go to the elementary schools, find a seven year old who looks like they're amazing at soccer, get them into your club program and see if they turn out or how do they deal with like young talent coming into the teams? Uh, so you can get signed at, I think from six or seven years old into a club's what, what is called an academy. Uh, and the academy system will take you through to if you if you got signed at six, you kept going. Uh, you'd get through to when you were eighteen years old, um, no, sixteen years old. And at sixteen years old, then you become what you want to call. I want to call it an apprentice, uh, where you will get a income, but nowhere near what um, the professional footballers get paid. Um, and then at eighteen, then you would sign full-on professional contracts. Now, people have signed those professional contracts younger, and I think they can. Um, but there's a lot going on with that. So Watford was quite always, uh, uh, again, one of the early things we did was develop our, our system to make it better, um, to uh, give us a, a way of getting more players. Um, and the one player called John Barnes, who went on to play for, for England and, and Liverpool, um, he, was, he wasn't come, come to the system. He was spotted as a, as a young, um, young lad who'd come over from Jamaica and, and came through the, the the tail end of that system, and, and again, players can come into these academies not yeah any any age, um, but the system now it was changed a few years ago. So um, Jordan Sancho, who's a big hit over in Borussia um, at Dortmund, uh, came via Manchester City to them, but went to Manchester City from Watford, um, and the the big clubs are able to uh, sign players. Uh, for what you'd really call compensation uh, and take them into their academies when they are that little bit older, that 18, uh, 16, 17, 18 year olds, uh, when they they become you know, full-time footballers. So that's where you can pick players up from. But, you know, as you probably already noticed that players who play in the, in the Premier League come from, from many parts of the world, if not all, from all over Europe. Yeah, even here in Phoenix, I don't know if you realize this, Chris, but they have like like Arsenal has a team here in town for young kids, and so their cl- Arsenal club team is a part of the big Arsenal brand. So theoretically, some American kid playing on one of the Arsenal club teams here in Phoenix could be found, get invited to the academy, and stay with the club through. Hmm. So. Theoretically, yes. Yeah, theoretically, theoretically uh, yes. Likely, but that's um, it, it's it. more. That's more uh, part of you know Arsenal trying to become global brands than it is to find players. It could find players, but yeah. it's more just part of the the marketing that goes into worldwide football. Yeah. Let's let's. Uh, I want to ask a couple questions. I. I think I know the name or understand the answer to, to why you're the Hornets. Mm. But so I want that question, but then also explain why the nickname's the Hornets, but the crest is a moose. Ah, right. So this is huge with what for the moment, <laughs> or is it the next couple of years? The club have said, look, exactly the reason you are Americans and you're getting involved with football and you're looking at Watford and you're going, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense. So what would have been the Hornets since the 1950s where there was a competition about what color we should change to and what should be on our badge. And the Hornet was, was chosen by, I think was a young lad who paper sort of put his entry in and we used to be blues and we used to call the brewers 
because there was a big brewery in Watford called Benskin's Brewery. Um, and way back in the day, uh, we had black and white uh, striped kits in the early 1900s. Um, and, it, you know, football, the very few football clubs, I think, have ever had one colour for their entire, entire time. So that's why we are the colour we are now. Uh, as you've seen this year, we have black and white stripe. That's new. We've never had that before. Um, so it's an evolving thing. The, the moose is not a moose. As I said, Watford is in Hertfordshire, and it is a heart, a male deer. Okay. So we are. We have that. I think Elton John might have been uh, made under him. Um, it was because we are the biggest club in Hertfordshire. Okay. Um, so that's why that is. But the, the club have said that we're looking at this. We want your opinions, uh, and we we are contemplating the idea of changing the badge. Wow. Uh, in the coming years. Um, it's not going to be quick. It's not going to be done. We're changing it. Come and pick a logo. We, they really want to know what, what the club uh, and the fans feel. Um, we went to a fans forum. That's where fans can gather in a room and ask questions. And we, Scott Duxby was there, uh, who's the Watford uh, chairman and chief executive. Javi Grazia, our manager. Ben Foster, one of our players. Any question they like. Not all clubs do that, especially Premier League clubs. But Watford have always done it and um, continue to do it. And uh, the head of global partnerships, I think is was title, sort of sat down and explained why and what we're thinking and why it's a problem and the development of a brand in terms of um, Twitter, in terms of social media, in terms of everything. It, Watford is confusing. Yeah. And the, the, the growth of money in football, in terms of television, it's a lot of money, but in terms of growth, it isn't going to get massively. So Watford do need to develop their brand and their marketing worldwide to be able to sustain and compete. That's, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. But um, what I love about our badge is the shape of it. Yeah. There's no other badge that shape. And the other thing I love about it, it says Watford. The number of badges that don't actually say the name of the club on it, or they've got all these other things on it, mottos and stuff. It's a clean badge. I like the shape of it. I'm not particularly, I do like that moose. He's been, you know, the, the heart it has been on the, the badge since I've been a Watford fan. But that isn't what my football club's about. That isn't all of it. If Watford got rid of their badge completely, not, not change it, got rid of it completely, we'd still be the same football club. Yeah. We wouldn't, wouldn't have a, a good avatar or, and, and Facebook. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the things I noticed about about the badge is is the unique shape and the yeah, just it's it's one it's maybe the most unique of, of at least the Premier League mm. badges currently. Uh, do you guys have a natural a natural rival? I'm I'm assuming you do, and and who is it, and what's what's that relationship with that club like? So we our rival. Uh, as our friends up the M1, the M1 is the motorway that goes from London up to the north, uh, uh, Luton Town. And Luton are, they're not our nearest club. Our nearest club, I think, is Barnet. Um, but even Arsenal and Tottenham and, uh, are nearer to us than, um, than Luton are. But what it is, is we came up through the divisions at the same time. So there was a lot of a rivalry in terms of, of, of that. And we, we do have a sort of rivalry with Bournemouth at the moment, purely from the fact that we both got promoted at the same time. We had a couple of ding-dongs uh, with them um, in terms of on the, on the way up. 
So that, what, what is a rivalry is very interesting. Um, I think, again, it was Natalie was explaining, you know, the Manchester United-Liverpool derby and a rivalry is much bigger than the Manchester um, in terms of its, its resonance over many years. We, we have little rivalries. We've got Crystal Palace coming up in the, uh, in the FA Cup quarterfinal and uh, we've lost them recently once in the championship playoff uh, final at Wembley um, in 2013 uh, and then uh, two years ago no three, three years ago in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley we lost them as well so that's it that's, I wouldn't call it a rivalry but it's like it, it's that thing where there's a club that's like you similar to you you've seen them a lot recently they become a little bit more a little bit more to, to those games than just we need to win it yeah, that totally makes sense. The history of being beaten by them and like having heartbreakers against certain teams. It, it's mm. the same here, right? You have the ebb and flow. You have your natural rivalries, but then there's an ebb and flow of other teams that maybe you faced in the playoffs multiple years in a row. Or yeah, like, like, the, like the Colts against the Colts against the Patriots was yeah, only right. really big because of the rivalry between Brady and and Manning. You know, it isn't like the Redskins and the Giants and the Cowboys and the the Eagles because they play each other yeah. twice a year and have done for for years and years and years. But then they're not like say the 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 Jets and the Giants isn't really a rivalry. They're just from the same place and they play each other every so often. Yeah. What uh what division is Luton Town in right now? Oh, uh, I want to say well, they they went through a lot of problems. Um, they got deducted points because of financial problems and they went down to non-league uh, of not that long ago. Uh, so they're in League One at the moment. So they're doing very well there or probably get promoted to the championship, I think, next year. Um, they, need a lot of, they need a lot of work if they were ever going to make it up and actually stay up in the Premier League. Um, there's probably potential there. But since they last came up, there is a club who not everybody recognises as a club is MK Dons, Milton Keynes, which is again a bit further up the, the M1, uh, nearer to Birmingham. Uh, and they were original Wimbledon, but then they moved like a franchise does in America. And you guys going, sure, that's fine, man. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't here, and wow. it hasn't done since. And... Um, literally lots of football fans and just do not recognise it and that's not how you should do it Milton Keynes should have got a football club and they should start at the bottom and they should have earned their way up through the divisions like everybody does so um, they've developed they've got a much bigger stadium um, they will probably be encroaching on some of Luton's potential fans or would have potential uh, fans before but their ground is tiny it's really old um, and it need if they were going to ever compete, they would need a, a lot of work um, before they were able to do that. I know they probably have got plans and, and all that sort of stuff, but they they've been down for a while. Um, yeah, and they they're slowly coming back, but I don't know. Um, last question about kind of the club generally. Then I have a couple questions or observations about the match, but. Uh, what is, is there a, a chant, a song that's, that's classically Watford or, uh, or maybe if not, what's, what's your favorite, what's your go-to? Well, what, what's been great about Watford over the last few years is uh, the 1881. 
So the eighteen eighty one, of course, was the year that the club was founded. Um, and what is lovely about what happened was a guy called Roy Moore. He was at the the championship playoff final against Crystal Palace, and it wasn't. We just weren't singing, we weren't making noise, and Crystal Palace were known for being a little bit more organised with it. And since then, Roy and, and a bunch of fans have redeveloped uh, a, uh, a singing section, let's say, uh, in the in the in the ground. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of flags, a lot more visible signs of being a fan. In fact, I think we have the biggest flag in Europe um, that uh, covers the entire rookery that's been out a couple of times now. And uh, it was, yeah, they've done loads and loads of stuff in terms of that. So they, they, historically, the, the classic one is the Elton John's tailor-made army. Um, so Taylor being the manager Taylor, not the yeah. actual <laughs> making of suits. Um, and, and, and we... Uh, when Graham died, so Graham Taylor died um, just over two years ago, and ever since then, uh, it was especially very, very early on, not as much now. It sort of died out a little bit, but in the second, the seventy second, um, we would give a big round of applause uh, and, and just continue to to sort of mark Graham, and then the you know, the, the cheer of Elton John's Taylor Made Army sort of does does come through because again you know it's such an important part of our history the golden age of Watford um, is there but my favourite one ever <clears throat> is from the mid uh, mid uh, 90s Watford had a player called Ben Ayora he was from Nigeria some facts that you need to know number one he played in the World Cup for Nigeria two he had bunions so you know, do you know what I mean by bunion yeah, 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 on his toes. So yep. he had to retire. Now, are you aware of the band from the 1960s called The Kinks? Yeah, and the yeah. song Lola. Yeah, Lola. Yep, I know that song. Yep. So the greatest football charts are always based on a song. Yeah, and the song for Bunyan Ben went. He played for Nigeria in two World Cups, and then he got bunions and had to give up Ben Ayora. <laughs> ben Ben Ayora. It just fits perfectly. Uh, it absolutely fits perfectly. Like, um, what is the, the context the, of a match where someone says, it's time to sing the Bunyan Ben song? Well, we don't really sing it anymore. Like, you hear it every so often, but I think, I suppose if he turned up at a game, to watch it and he maybe wanted the pitch and they sort of interviewed him it might come up we don't really I don't think we sing anymore it, it is on our podcast it is by far all of our favourite ever chant oh my God. Um, the one we got at the moment is um, Abdel Dekore uh, who's our big star player uh, and the chant for him at the moment is to do with Earth, Wind and Fires September um, again a classic disco song yeah and um, it's uh, so it should be but of course what football fans can't sing that high so it's oh Abdul Adekore oh Abdul Adekore oh he never gives the ball away and then the annoying thing is what fans go one two three four and back again but he's French I think we should go un deux trois quatre oh that's what I'm just mean I'm picky I'm being picky but yeah so the, the great chance have to be based on I think based on a, a popular song from uh, at least a few years ago. Um, not that pop songs these days can really, they're, they're nothing these days. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. 
Okay, so a couple things uh, that we noticed about the match or the club that we wanted to, to key on on. First, first off, within the first three minutes, there was three things for me, to, or two things for me to really love. First was there's a guy named Hughes, which is my yeah. last name. So right away, I thought, all right, this is a guy I can root for. And then secondly, Mariapa's beard is beautiful. And I have a mm. large beard about his I think his might be a little smaller than mine, to be honest. But still, those two things right away, I thought, okay, I can cheer for these two guys at least. You know what mine was? Um, was hearing the announcers say kapu over and over again. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I loved it until I saw how it's actually spelt because it should definitely be spelled K-A hyphen P-O-O-H. <laughs> Oh, okay. Kapow. Um, might be a little bit better. But no, he, so, um, so Will uh, came to us uh, two years ago. He was a, a young player at Derby um, and uh, very, very young. had sort of been seen and was, was nabbed, had a few injuries. Uh, and Derby sort of, uh, a, you know, a decent-sized club, uh, has stagnated. He came to Watford because we are a place that young players uh, know that they can they can get themselves in the, the shop window for, for making steps and they, and they will get game time if they're, if they're good enough. Um, Maps or Mariapa, Maps uh, was a young, a youth player at Watford. Um, and he played, I think I want to say he's up to 300 appearances now, wow. but he played for six, seven years and then went away uh, for to a couple of clubs and, and came back a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and his place, it maps his place in the club is just because he absolutely understands the value of of, B, of Watford and, and what the club is all about, having come through it all. Um, what he also does is he's a proper defender. He's an English defender and does certain things and works really hard. He had a really good game actually on, on Saturday. He, he, you know, he's definitely coming towards the end of his career. Um, but he's been back, say, back at the club for a few years you wouldn't necessarily call him first choice, uh, but he, when he's called upon, he's there. And and the beard just adds to it, I think. You know, it just makes him look a little bit more... I mean, literally, if you look at some of the younger pictures of him, he looks like a... You know, when he's cleanly shaven, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but now, he, you know, it's, a, it's a, an aura of authority, I think. So good. And it's so interesting, you know, I mean, really, I get to watch, what you know one match a week, maybe it's whatever match I'm focusing on. So I don't get to see all these teams play very often. So in that, you're right. In, in the game, he looked like a star to me, <laughs> like he mm. such great defense. I thought, Oh, this sure, surely is one of their best players. And I'm getting such a thin slice of, of a season for each club. But um, another guy who looked great was, was Dini. And I think you referenced him earlier. Is he one of your stars? Dini? Well, let, let's if you you want to listen to one of our best podcasts from the Rickrin, go back to season six, I think it is five or six. Uh, we we had dinner with Dean. It was our fifth anniversary, oh, cool. um, so the end of season five, and we took him out to um, a local hotel, and we had about three hours with him, um, and we recorded about an hour of it. And he's such an honest and open character. You literally, he he's the best interview you could ever do. He will talk absolutely straight for you. And Troy came to us almost 10 years ago. I think it's 10 years it'll be this summer he, he arrived. Born from Warsaw with a bunch of money that the club raised because Elton John had a gig at uh, Vicarage Road. So, and Troy was fine and did well, but was a young and was a championship level player. Then he had an evening 
in Birmingham where he got into a fight and ended up having an extended summer break at Her Majesty's pleasure <laughs> and came back quite a heavy fella because he was in charge of the weights room in the prison. And since then, and that was the, the, the season that um, the Pozzo family, the Italian family that owned Watford now, uh, had taken over. And he came back, and man alive, is that a different person. Huh. And he uh, became the leader in that team uh, and, and has been ever since. He's now Mr. Watford. Um, that that position has such as, as you expect with any club has changed over the years. Um, but he, in in a highly skilled team that we have of players from all over the place, Troy sets a certain tone to, to how to play a gritty, a fighting tone. Uh, and at the right time, it can be the making of a game for Watford. He isn't the most skillful player in the world. It's lovely he tries. It doesn't always come off Troy. But he's now been with us for so long uh, and achieved so much that the, the word legend gets overused a ridiculous amount in all sports. Yeah, you can be good, but he is, well, he isn't yet because he's still playing. But he will be one of the Watford legends, I think, going forward. Him and Luther Blissett. And that's another story to tell, but we'll get there later on. Great. Now, one of the other things I noticed, did he, he seemed to complain a lot during the match. Is that typical? Or was he seriously being abused? And I'll, uh, you, Troy, doesn't, Troy doesn't complain a lot. He's the captain, so he has a job to, to, yep. to talk to the referee and to oh, keep yep. in his ear. But he was literally being manhandled quite significantly and wasn't getting anything for it. And it was almost getting to the point of going, you're actually kidding me. Yeah, so on the And var- on the var- he doesn't do that that often. On the Vardy goal, again, I, certainly you're coming from a, a, pers- a biased perspective, but hmm. it appeared that, the, I don't know who it was, but the guy was like all over him. Pretty Maguire. Yeah, so is that... Would you agree? Like that looked like a foul to me. He's like up on his shoulders, like over the top of him. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, Troy being quite vocal probably is, you know, the the master of his own downfall maybe in certain situations and the referees giving decisions your way. But there was a lot of it on on the weekend. But the best thing about Troy on that game, it might have come across. Am I am I allowed to say a slightly rude word? Sure. The Leicester fans were calling him Troy Dean is a wanker. Uh-huh. And they were singing it and singing it and singing it. And he turned to them and he gave them a round of applause. Because <laughs> he knows that's his point. He knows it. He knows he's not, he's not the pantomime. But yeah. he's sort of, you know, he's an ugly, ugly man. He says himself he's an ugly man. Um, but he's really honest and you get to know him and you know him. And when we interviewed him for the interview, when we interviewed him for, for the From the Rooker end, he, it was actually the first time for lots of fans said to us, the first time they'd heard him talk about the incident that got him uh, his extended summer break. Um, but he's always been honest um, and he's a lovely man. And then he gave us the, he was at the end of the greatest moment in football. I'm not saying in Watford, the greatest moment in football. Oh, wow. Have you gone to YouTube and Googled Deanie's Leicester goal? No, but I will, I will immediately after. 
yeah, so in the uh, semi-final, uh, and again, again against Leicester and last-minute goals, which there was this weekend, uh, the semi-final of the second leg uh, of the championship uh, playoff semi-final, uh, Watford were 2-1 up on the home leg after losing the, third, the away leg 1-0. Uh, it was going to extra time and uh, whatever goes after that and penalties maybe. And in the last minute, Anthony Knockhart, who plays for Brighton now, dived. And there's no getting around that. He dived in the box and the referee gave a penalty. Wow. So this was, oh, brilliant. And I remember being the referee and going, champion, that's it. You know, going out is yeah. fine if you go out fairly. But it wasn't. And I actually sat down. I started writing a tweet, to, a text to my wife saying, uh, they've got penalty and I'll be home soon. Um, that penalty was saved and the rebound was saved again. The ball was kicked out. It was controlled by Kitchiania. He ran down the pitch, put it onto the wing where Forest, Fernando Forestieri took it, cut into the box, crosses it to the far side of the goal where Jonathan Hogg, who now plays at Huddersfield, headed the ball down to this penalty spot where um, Matty Vidra got out of the way and Troy Deeney slammed that ball in the back of the net like you've never seen in your life. And it is one of the greatest moments in football. Not just because it was the goal that won it and it was last minute, but the as a football fan of my club and watching it and going from the pit of feeling that being a football fan of a club does to you when you're in those positions to the absolute jubilance and euphoria of that other goal was amazing. That's Literally, horrible. it was phenomenal to be there. And lots of people talk about it. And I know I will never get a feeling of that again as a football fan. But I also know there's a billion other football fans out there who will never have, will never have it and, and never have had it. It's not about just winning the trophy and winning the league. It's not about anything like that. It was the absolute roller coaster and the contrast from the penalty being awarded and not being able to watch because I didn't see the first save. Oh, wow. I stood up when the first cheer for the first save went in. And then to see that ball go down the pitch and to go in the back of the net so simply, in some ways, was a beauty. I think that's, such, I think that's one of the... I think it's one of the greatest challenges for Americans to enjoy football generally is we, because of the playoff system, because of the way all of our sports are structured, we get last minute winners often. Yeah. To win yeah. Championship, to win you your division, to win you a spot in the playoffs. That happens so often for us. Yeah. But your sports, are, your, the American sports are designed to do that exactly and they've been adapted over the years to, to be more you I mean the fact that you know uh, uh the two minute warning well, that's just designed for television adverts yeah um yeah there's lots of things that have been de you know, developed for the right reasons of course um but still but two, two weeks two weeks well, before this yeah the same thing had happened um pretty much same thing happened for at brentford but still it, it wasn't as it was it was messy compared to the goal that Watford scored. Um, and 
literally people from around the world do do talk about that that Deeney goal and that moment he had. Um, and we all had. Um, it's called the Deeney goal, but it was really was a team goal um, to 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 do it. Um, I mean, you watch Kitchianu in that. In the if you Google it on YouTube, you don't see it in the first bit because the camera cuts back to Manuel Munu in the goal. But you watch a Kitchianu control that and then run down and pace off. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll definitely yeah. check that out afterwards. Mm. <clears throat> um, so getting back to the game from yeah. Sunday. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's all good. This is all interesting. Um, so I thought Foster looked spectacular in goal, especially early on in the match. I was wondering, is, is he one of the top keepers in, in England or is he kind of a nobody who just had a great game? No, I mean, Ben, um, we had been on loan – 10 years ago when he was a Manchester United young player. He then had two great years with us, one in the championship, then one year when we were in the Premier League, the last time we had a spell in the Premier League. Uh, and then he went back to Manchester United and he became a first team player there, was the England goalkeeper for a while, um, then went to West Bromwich, West Bromwich Albion. And when they got relegated last year, he, got, he then transferred to Watford. And he is just... I'm not, you know, he's definitely given, he's definitely earned us a few more points. Not that we had a terrible keeper last year. Herrera Gomez, who's going to be retiring at the end of this, this year, he was, has been fantastic for us last few years. But Ben has just been wonderful um, this year. Certainly feels like he's been revitalized. And again, <coughs> excuse me, going back to what I said about Matt's and him understanding what Watford is about, Ben does it. Ben does as well. And, and we were doing the podcast this week outside the ground. We record it um, straight after, if it's a home game, we do it straight after the game, just gather ourselves outside the ground and, and, and sit and, and chat for half an hour. And Ben um, came out, and we're just recording it in, in the corner, and Ben came out and he signed everything that was there. He interacted with the fans. He chatted with them all. Did everything, he, all more than what he could do. So he goes beyond um, just being a, a great footballer. He understands the club and, and the, the ethos that we have. Uh, but he had a fantastic year and pretty much will be, if he isn't, it'd be um, the, the, the vote was rigged, be player of the year in terms of our, sorry, our MVP um, of the season, uh, the, uh, the sort of awards that the club do it at the end of the year. But I, I actually say in terms of, you know, the best English uh, goalkeepers in the Premier League, He's got to be well up there, um, and and not far away from being one of the, one of the best, and you know not just the from the, the English boys. Nice. Yeah, he had some spectacular saves early on. I was like, man, this guy's either awesome or having the game of his life. <laughs> mm, no, he's awesome. So, one of the things that I, as we watch these matches, we try and embrace the team and, and cheer for the team while we watch. And so uh, what a bet there, there haven't been this many exciting matches uh, that I've watched this season with certainly thrilling endings as, as this one. Um, great, amazing goal with, you know, into extra time to get the three points, all of that's great. But the question I have is about, after Andre, after Gray scores the goal, he takes his shirt off, which seems to be a absolutely proper response to scoring a goal. It would certainly be my go-to celebration. 
but then he's given a yellow card. So I'm, I'm yeah. that's, you can't take your shirt off. Not for, not recently. Uh, that law sort of came in. I mean, I think I'd take my shirt off. I would have had Andre's body and all his tattoos. <laughs> I mean, Andre goes out with uh, a pop star, um, a band called little Nix, who you probably haven't heard of. Um, they, uh, and he's, yeah, he hasn't, he, we, he's the highest uh, ever um, transfer fee we ever paid, 18 million pounds. Again, nothing compared to other Premier League clubs. He hasn't really fired on full burners. Um, he's had good games, but recently he, he's last two home games, at least he scored two goals. Um, and he's making a difference in, in, in this this substitute, you know, being a substitute where he can come on and, you know, you, say, you saw the muscle on him, he's pretty yeah. tough on, the, on, the, on his upper half of his body. Yep. Um, but, you know, again, last minute goals against Leicester, I've already told you about the Deeney goal, you know, it's nothing really. Yeah, nothing. But what's been great about Watford this year is the fact that they do keep going. Uh, the last couple of seasons uh, in the Premier League, especially this by this point, we really have fallen over and then we've fallen off a cliff edge almost. Um, but they're they're still battling, they're still trying, they're still going for it, uh, and it paid off um, really, really well uh, against Leicester. And it was, you know, both mid-table champ, uh, Premier League sides. Yeah. Um, if one if one of us had a better day, we'd definitely win it. Um, we both had decent days with, you know, with with that goal at, at the end of of it all. They didn't really look like they were going to score a lot of goals. Um, they you know, there was a lot of passing and, you know, possession football going on, which is the, the hipster way of doing it at the moment. Um, thank you, Manchester City, for that. <laughs> um, they, uh, but we just seemed to, we were the one more likely to score, but that doesn't say that they weren't going to score. We played Huddersfield and Cardiff at home already this year. And we're not alive. They, well, you guys have got, you know, they could play all day. And they didn't really seem like they were going to score a goal. Cardiff did, but they were spectacular goals. They weren't going to be playing their way into these. It was one of their goals was a, a joy from outside the box. But it takes a spectacular for them to. It seemed to in that game to to score a goal, not that sort of well worked goal as a team. They just didn't seem like they were going to score. Huddersfield especially, they're terrible this year. Yeah, yeah. They, I haven't. We haven't watched them yet or featured them yet, but. I could have a hard time finding a, a fan to come on, but we're, we're going to do our best. Um, Thrice champions. They do a podcast. Yeah. They are the only team to win the top division of football three years on the trot. It was a long time ago. All right. Well, we'll find those mm. guys and we'll get them mm. on. So each week we have a, a term of the week, uh, something to help explain if we haven't done enough in educating ourselves and others, we want one last kind of go at it. And so this week, more than a term, I want you to help us understand, and it's very important uh, for Watford right now, is why why does seventh place matter in uh, – in the Premier League. Help us understand that. You're in eighth right now, only separated by goal differential, right? From from Wolverhampton? Yeah. Does it does it matter? Is the real real question. Okay. Um yeah. it, you know, let, let let's compare it to, you know, American sports. It is that sort of thing where only one team can win the league. 
But we have this whole thing in, in, in the Premier League of trying to be in the top four. Who wants to be fourth? Who wants to be fifth, sixth or seventh? Nobody really wants to be that low down. But the benefit from finishing in the top four is that you get into the Champions League. I think fourth place has to go into an earlier qualification round. If you're fifth place uh, and sixth place, you get to go into the Europa League. And seventh place, I don't think it's a guarantee, but it should, on the whole, when if a top six side wins the FA Cup and the uh, League Cup, which Manchester City have already done, yeah. if that, that would then take that slot in the Europa, Europa, Europa League, would go lower and lower down the Premier League. But seventh is, I think, is as low as it can go because you can only have seven English sides in European football. Got it. Okay. So that's the aim of it. It's like, like I say, it's not, but it's like getting into the playoffs for uh, for clubs in American sports. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, news came out today, and obviously, I if you've been, if people have been following uh, football at all, there's been rumblings about Man City and some financial fair play stuff, which I for sure don't want to get into because. I think it's way too complex <laughs> to talk about. But the point is that there's an investigation in for Man City right now, and they may not they may get banned from uh, from Champions League. Uh, I don't know for how long, but let's assume it happens. Would do you know if the slots would shift? So Man City's out. Would then there be the potential for the eighth spot? to make it into uh, Europa? Do you know? I would assume yes. Um, again, it comes down to who wins the cups. Yeah. So I would assume yes, it, it, it would. Everything would just shift down a little bit. But that's, that, that's not going to be a decision made anytime soon, especially after appeal. Um, there you used quite a funny phrase earlier on you said financial fair play there's nothing fair about it um you know Paris Saint-Germain spent god knows how much money on Neymar Jr and uh Kylian Mbappe we're talking three four hundred million on those two players alone yeah and there's no way that in French league and a club cannot can do that um, but but who paid who paid for um, Neymar oh no 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 it, it wasn't Paris Saint-Germain someone else paid for him or paid him out of his contract at Barcelona and then they signed him so the only thing that's coming off Paris Saint-Germain's books is the fact that he is uh, their wages, his wages, but still, it's not fair. There's nothing fair about it. Um, there's a lot of money, more than you know, a ridiculous amount of money that's being put into football by um, for Man City and from uh, and for Paris Saint Germain, um, being from uh, the, the 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 oil states, the Middle East, you know, uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, where um, they're being yeah, chucking all the money they've earned around. Uh, putting it into football. 
So it isn't particularly fair. Um, Manchester City have there've been a lot of investigation into them. Uh, that being in a, I think it was a German newspaper, uh, but they're, 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 of course, they're in trouble for uh, signing players, uh, young players, where you're not allowed to pay a fee. You just pay a compensation uh, to the club, but they made payments or they've been accused of making payments to an agent and young players aren't allowed to have agents. Got it. So they could get in trouble for that as well. So they've got lots of things going on. I'm I'm sure they can afford a decent lawyer um, (laughs) to at least delay it a little bit uh, or to to do something else with it. But uh, yeah. Let me make sure I understand the seventh place thing. So if... Uh, so you get into Europe there's a lot Champions of- League Champions yep. League is first second third fourth in the Premier League yep fifth place is Europa League yep you then get a slot for winning the U, uh, the League Cup okay and the FA Cup so now at this Man- point Man City already won Carabao the League yeah the so League Cup if- so that means sixth place gets a slot in the Europa League got it if one of those top four or fifth win the FA Cup, then the Europa League slot for the FA Cup will go to seventh. So if Millwall wins the FA Cup, yeah, Millwall goes to Europa. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, interesting. A few years ago, it used to be if, and it did because. Millwall did go into the UEFA Cup, Europa League. They uh, they came, they got to the FA Cup final and lost to Manchester United. So that place went to the runner-up in the FA Cup. And that might actually, now I think about it, might still be true. I can't remember now. Okay. So if you... Uh, we'll have to check that out. Yeah. But those those sorts of rules change quite a lot. And there's a thing called a coefficient that they talk about. So the fact that the number of teams that we have in Europe is quite high in England compared to other countries, but that's because English clubs have done well and got further into competitions, European competitions than other countries. So our coefficient is high. So we still have a lot of clubs, but if it got too low, then we would lose slots. So we might only have three champions league slots. It is possible. Highly unlikely though. That totally makes sense. John, this has been super enlightening. Uh, we, I learned so much from every podcast, and we're really grateful for you coming on, representing Watford, or I'm probably not surprised still. Master, say, it. help me, Chris. Watford. 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 Come on, so who, 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 who's, your, who's the front runner for choosing? Who, who, if, you had, if I told you this is the last podcast, even so, though it is because you've now made decisions for Watford, who would you pick? Chris, Chris has a di- so Chris has just come on as a as a co-host for the last three episodes, and I told right. him, if you come on, you can only choose from the final eight teams that we that we uh, are choosing from. So Chris has three teams so far that he can choose from. So Chris, who out of the three that we we've featured with you yeah. on it. Uh, so, so my choices right now are Newcastle, Brumley, and Watford. And, uh, you know, John, I've really enjoyed this time. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Watford's at the top. Ooh, cool. That's, that's strong. That's strong. Well, 
I and Natalie, if you listen to this, I still love you. You were amazing last week. Thank you so much for being on. <laughs> no, no, that is brilliant. I met both Nat. Uh, we we were the winners of the uh, Football Supporters Federation yes. Club Podcast of the Year, uh, and and Natalie was also nominated. And we met her, and she, you know she's an absolutely lovely lady. Yeah, she was great last week. So great. Mm. That's that's one of the things that I have actually had the hardest time with in coming out with like these power rankings or whatever that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, I have so appreciated the time and energy and the input that I've received from all my, my guests. I'm like, I feel bad, like ranking, like, listen, I'm ranking your club. Please don't be offended. Um, you got pick, pick, come on. Who would you pick? You got pick today. Right now, if I had to pick, it would be, and, uh, yam, yam, Luke would be so happy that I would pick Wolverhampton. Oh, okay. I lived in Wolverhampton for a while. And, um, they're they're an interesting bunch, Wolverhampton Wanderers fans. They're a bit they're a bit picky. <laughs> they're very picky for a club of they are a huge club. Like the gates they get are massive, even when they were in the championship. But they're yeah. quite picky. They're quite a negative bunch. I always felt listening to them. <laughs> they, I'm glad I didn't say Bournemouth. Still, still lots of time. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time picking one of the top six as much as you can't. You're not allowed lot, to. There's a lot of. There's a lot. That's glory easy. hunter. If you give anybody in the top six, you're a glory hunter. I know. I know. But I'm also not picking a team that gets relegated because I need to be able to watch them without paying for a membership on some random. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, maybe. My, but, uh, Curtis uh, is one of the Denver Hornets. Okay. And Curtis uh, fell in love with football in 1994 when the World Cup was held in America. Yep. Uh, and then like 10 years later, he came over, maybe a bit more than that, he came over to watch a game. And he had a ticket to go and see Tottenham play. Uh, and it got, the game got moved because of television, so between him booking everything, uh, and it moved to Sunday. He came along and... Uh, he went to his travel agent. He said, hey, is there another game you know that's going on? He goes, oh, I've got a mate. He sports Watford. There's a Watford game. I'll, we'll sort you out. Curtis came to that game. Just absolutely fell in love with the people where he went to at the West Hearts Club. And everybody where they sat, he went and sat down and his mate said, you know, everyone moved so Curtis could sit next to, uh, to his mate. And uh, Curtis, for until Watford in the Premier League, used to get up every... Saturday and listened to Watford um, in the very early, well, early in the morning uh, via the radio. And there's nothing wrong with the radio. The pitch is always better on the radio. <laughs> um, it feels more tense and uh, it's more nail-biting in some ways. But um, yeah, you don't have to watch on the glossy television to, to, to appreciate it. Um, I, I'd all, if I was doing it, I'd make you pick someone in Division League 2. And you have to earn your way up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. That's what I do with FIFA, though. That's what I'm oh, yeah, okay, cool. online. I just I'm on a team that's in like the second division, and I have. To mm. But for real life, I'm going to have to choose at least for now a uh, mm. league club. So you, basically, you don't you don't want a team like I said a top team because you don't want to do what Manchester United fans are going. They're going, oh, we're not in the top four. We're rubbish. Yeah. Shut up. You're the fourth place club in the country. You're getting hundreds of millions of pounds. Your club is surviving. You have no worries at all in terms of being a football club. Don't moan about it. It's more interesting when there's battles to be had For sure. throughout the season, um, especially when it's a bit nail-biting near the end of the season. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciated getting to know you and getting to know more about Watford. 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 <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Football Neophytes podcast. Our theme song is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org donate and make a donation to this amazing organization. 100% of your donation will go directly to projects and programs and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org donate. Recording, mixing, everything done by me, except for Chris. He throws in his witty comments now and again, and the intro done by my beautiful wife, Emily. We're on both iTunes and Google Play. Please rate and comment if you enjoy the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Football Neophyte. That's Football Neophyte without the E. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Until then, grace, peace, and love. team do you want to win? Watford? Yeah. Or yeah. Le- or Leicester City? Italy. Watford? Yeah.